flip to uh, Job 42, and, and there's quite a few visitors here, so let me just give you a real quick uh, synopsis of where we've been through the month of July. Is We've been talking about this idea uh, of prayer and just how vital personal, uh, individual prayer is, but also corporate prayer within the church. And so we looked at kind of the Lord's Prayer as kind of an overall example of, of the types of things that, that we are to come to God and, and, and bring to Him through our, through our conversation. We've been using a little acronym, ACTS, A-C-T-S, uh, Adoration Prayer, Confession Prayer, Thanksgiving Prayer, and then to, today we'll look at Supplication Prayer. And this is by no means exhaustive, but these are various areas that we see in Scripture to help us understand how to direct prayer. I've been quoting from a book uh, by Donald Whitney called Praying the Scriptures, um, sorry, Praying the Bible, uh, over and over again. And, and his, his conclusion to prayer, and I think he's right, is that many Christians, many of us struggle with prayer because we're not really sure what to say and our mind begins to wander. And so we've been employing this idea of going to Scripture, and we've been concluding our services, and we'll do that again this morning, by praying through a section of Scripture so that our, our minds can be focused on the truth of what God has said, that we can remind ourselves of, of who he is and what he has called us to be. And so this morning as we conclude, I, I teased a question at the beginning that I left all the way until the end here very intentionally. And the question is this, is does prayer change things? Does prayer matter? And the reason that I left it to this point is because supplication prayer is probably the part of prayer that's easiest for us. We call out to God and we ask him for things because there are needs in our lives or needs in our friends' lives or our family's lives. Whether it's a specific circumstance that we come across that we're not sure what to do or it's too overwhelming or whether it's the illness uh, that, we have, that either we have gotten or, or someone that we love has gotten and, and we, we pray and we ask God for things. But then there's this inevitable truth that sometimes God seems to respond to those requests how we've asked. And healing happens or, or wisdom is given in a very clear moment. But sometimes there's moments where we feel like, did God answer that prayer? And even if we can say, okay, God answered that prayer, but not in the way that I expected, is, is how do we wrestle with the fact that God has, has chosen not to respond the way that we would want him to? So back to the question, does prayer change things? Well, it depends what we think, or it depends, I should say, on how we define what those things are. C.S. Lewis wrote this once. We'll have, it's a big quote, so we'll put it on the screen here. But I thought this was really, really interesting. He says this. Can we believe that God really modifies his action in response to the suggestions of men? For infinite wisdom does not need telling what is best. And infinite goodness needs no urging to do it. But neither does God need any of those things that are done by finite agents whether living or inanimate. He could, if he chose, repair our bodies miraculously without food or give us food without the aid of farmers, bakers, and butchers or knowledge without the aid of learned men or convert the heathen without missionaries. 
Instead, he allows soils and weather and animals and the muscles, minds, and wills of men to cooperate in the execution of his will. It's a huge statement. But I think it's powerful. Is if we think that we can barter with God to change his mind, then what we're doing is we're saying, God, I know better than you in this moment. And yet the scripture is filled with ideas of coming together and asking God for the things that that we need. And so wrestling through, am I asking for what is good? Am I asking for what is selfish? Am I asking for the things that God wants or am I asking for things that I want that I shouldn't have? The truth of scripture is that God knows all things. That God has sovereignly planned all things and that he knows better than we what should happen. And so at the very end of the book of Job, let me just give you a real quick synopsis of the book, is is Job is worshiping God and he is uh, blameless and upright before God. and, And we're given this picture of Satan presenting himself before God and going, well, of course he follows you because you've blessed him with material possessions and you've given him everything he needs. And God says, no, I know Job's heart that he is faithful and he will follow me regardless. And so then we get to go on this journey as, as Satan attacks Job and his part, most of his family is killed and he loses all of his possessions. And perhaps you've been in a situation where you feel great loss and suffering. And you go, God, why would you allow this? How could you possibly let these things happen? This doesn't make any sense. And so we get to see Job's journey of that. And at some point, he starts to say, God, you, essentially, he says, you owe it to me to respond. Tell me, what is it that I've done? What is it, why has this happened? And and God reveals himself to Job, but God doesn't answer Job the way that, God, or that Job expects. Basically, God says, Job, who are you to know what is right and good and true? What wisdom do you have to know what I allow and not allow? And after that conversation with God, this is Job's response in chapter 42. Job answered the Lord and said, this is verse 2, I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. You know, the interesting thing about the book of Job is that we learn that it's not because Job sinned that these things happened to him. And yet, when he has an audience with God and when God responds, here's how he responds is, I repent for even questioning what you have allowed to happen to me. Marshall Siegel has an article on desiringgod.org. And after the service, we're going to throw up a little QR code uh, for you on the screen because we're very current. I mean, Randy read scripture from his phone. No, we're going to throw this QR code up because I think it, it'll take 10 minutes of your time. 
and I think you probably won't find a better 10 minutes to spend. And in this article, he talks about God's sovereign plan. And so here's what he says at the beginning. He says, as many of us first discover the sovereignty of God on page after page of the Bible, however, a strain sometimes emerges in our immature thinking between what he has planned and how we pray. And here's the crux of it. Why would I pray if God has already planned what will happen? Our prayers can begin to feel small, peripheral, even unnecessary, next to the vastness of all that God will inevitably do. He will accomplish his purpose, we might think, whether I pray or not. We wonder what difference our prayers might really make. Perhaps you've wrestled with that in the past. Perhaps you wrestle with that now. Perhaps as that has just been stated, now you've for the first time gone, oh, how do I deal with that statement? How do I deal with that, what seems to be very logical conclusion? Here's the thing is, yes, God is sovereign and he has plan and purpose. And as Job said, that no matter our detours along the way, that God will accomplish his purpose, that no one can thwart his plans. Well, there's one really good piece of news with that that we need to rest in, and that is this, that that means that God's won and that Satan cannot prevail against him. That is good news. But what about our own prayer life? What about our own wrestling with God and and asking him for things that maybe he doesn't want us to ask? As I pray for the healing of a loved one and, and God responds with a no, do I go, well, what point is praying anyway? Sometimes we look at things in this very rigid category and go, well, if it doesn't change anything, then what's the point? Except here's the thing. Prayer changes a great deal. Not God's sovereign plan, but prayer changes our hearts. Prayer changes how I view the situation as I come under the submission to Christ and to his will for my life. I begin to ask and to pray for things that God wants for me. Bruce Ware, one of my seminary professors, put it this way. He says, God has devised prayer as a means of enlisting us as participants in the work that he has ordained. As part of the outworking of his sovereign rulership over all, the relationship between divine sovereignty and petitionary prayer can be stated by this one word, participation is we get to be called into what God is already doing. There is no greater news. That means the things that we wrestle with, God saying, bring this to me, bring your concerns and your hurts and your pains and your frustrations and trust in me and I'll help you mature and grow so that you would know that I am at work, that I am accomplishing all that I intend to, but not only that I'm bringing you into that. The Great Commission, right, is is given to us as followers of Jesus to go and do what? To make disciples. Have you ever convinced someone to become a disciple? It's not how it works. Jesus doesn't say, go and make converts. The Holy Spirit is the one who will convict someone to turn towards Jesus Christ. 
But all through Scripture, we're told that we're to be part of that journey. And so we might think, well, why bother send missionaries if, 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 as we talked about last week, that God's already chosen people? And we're asking the wrong questions when we ask that. Would it not encourage you greatly to get to be part of a movement of seeing people come to faith in some miraculous way through some of the very imperfect words and actions that we get to do? God calls us into his family to go and to minister to people. And yes, it's only ultimately him that brings them to salvation, but we get to participate in that. That gives our life meaning and purpose far beyond just what we think we do for maybe work or career or hobbies. It means the things that we do now matter in eternity. The same is true of our prayers. God has called us into participation in his will. And as, as I acknowledge, like Job does, that I only have limited perspective, yet I call on God to hear me, and I, yet I submit to his will in the midst of that, not my own. Jesus says in the Garden of Gethsemane these words, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, here's the crazy thing is Jesus knew there was no other way. In fact, in John 12, 27, before these words, Jesus says this, Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Jesus knew that he was coming to be the substitutionary atonement for our sins, that he was going to pay the penalty for our sins on the cross as my substitute, as your substitute. He knew that was his mission. Yet the reality of the challenge, the hurt, the pressure, the difficulty that he faced in those moments had him call out to his father, if there's another way, please let it happen. But not my will, yours be done. Does prayer change things? Yes, it changes our hearts. Because as we draw closer to God, as we submit under his authority and learn and begin to trust in him for all things, our, we will mature and the things that we will ask for will no longer be, God, can I win a million dollars because I really need extra money? And it'll become, God, help me to trust in you and to rely on your strength to get through this situation. Again, Siegel says this, when we pray, we do not change the mind of God as if he might have chosen wrongly. No, we act out infinite wisdom of God in the midst of all the brokenness in front of us, and we welcome the inscrutable goodness that he has always planned to do through our prayers. Isn't that an amazing thought? That God is long before planned your life out and gone, here's, here's what's going to happen. And he knows that we're going to run away and disobey at times, but he's also called us into beauty and wonder and amazing things. And when we can submit ourselves to that, we get to see God accomplish his purposes and all of a sudden our prayers change radically differently. Anybody ever read anything by J.I. Packer before? He's got a lot of books on prayer, one of them literally called prayer. 
And as you read this man talk about prayer, what you see is a depth to his prayer life, something that, that we, the reader, as we're looking through this, go, man, that's what I want. And yet what we read in there is Scripture. We read God's words. We read J.I. Packer reminding himself that it is not his will that should be accomplished, but God's will. And that when we realize that and when we learn to trust him, we begin to start asking for things and we start to see our prayers answered in ways that we expect more and more, not because we're becoming the chooser or the decider, but because we're starting to align ourselves with the will of God for his world and for his church. That can be very challenging to think about. But I think we have to humble ourselves to this point and to go, God does not need any of us to accomplish his purposes. And yet he has called us into his church, into his family. And he has said, you will be my hands and feet to use the gifts that, oh, by the way, God already gave to us to use for his purposes so that others will be brought to Christ. Not because of what you can accomplish, but because of what you can do when the Spirit, or when you submit to the leading of the Spirit in your life, and he accomplishes it. It's a beautiful, beautiful truth of Scripture. And I say all of this before we even talk, and we're going to be real quick here talking about supplication prayer. But I say all of this so that as we go to God to ask for things, whether in our own life and the circumstances we face or the lives of the loved ones around us, that we would submit to a holy God that knows all things and that has far greater purposes than we ever could understand. And so are you hurting right now? Then you can trust your heavenly father. That doesn't necessarily mean he'll take that hurt away. I'm reminded of the apostle Paul where he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord that he would take this this thorn in the flesh. We're not sure exactly what that was, but some ailment or difficulty that he was facing. And what was God's response to that? My grace is sufficient. He doesn't say, yeah, I'll take care of that. He says, I'll help you through that. And you will learn great things in the midst. And so as we learn to pray, as we call on God for the hurts and the pains and the difficulties and the struggles, and as, or as the things as Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, our daily bread, is when we begin to mature and ask for the things that God already wants to give us. And you can think of it this way if you're a parent. Is when your children are little, you give them the things that they need because you know better than they do. And as they begin to grow a little bit, and as they begin to verbalize and ask for things, when your child goes, "Uh, no supper, just dessert, please, a good father goes, I don't think so, because I know what's best for you. Now, there are moments, and we joke about this in our house, we're not really a dessert in our house family. But every now and then, Spongebob will be like, can I have a little bit of dairy for ice cream for dessert? And a good parent A good father, a good mother wants to give good gifts to his children. Yes, but not every day. Because if you get what you think you need every day, you won't get the things that you actually need. You'll begin to think that you are entitled to get whatever you want. And so praise the Lord that God says no to our prayers sometimes. It doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make it something that we celebrate in the sense of, of just being okay with it. It's, it's hurtful. It, it, when someone you know that you have prayed for for healing dies, 
That doesn't make the grief any less. But we're still called to ask for these things. We're still called to submit ourselves to God and to realize that he has purpose and meaning. So Philippians chapter 4, you can flip there. It'll be on the screen as well here. Now remember, Philippians is is the only book of of the New Testament, uh, of Paul's writing specifically, that is not written to correct some bad doctrine that existed within a church. Uh, He does deal with a few things, but his primary purpose is to encourage the believers there. And so in Philippians 4, 4 to 7, Paul writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. And just in case that isn't clear, again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We are to go to God in supplication. Now notice there's a caveat with thanksgiving. Why? Because everything that we have been given is a good gift of God. Whether we see it as a good gift or not. When you're six years old and you're sitting there eating all your broccoli and your peas and carrots and stuff, you're like, this is not a good gift. Like Ben and Jerry's would be better. But you have parents that know far better than you. Actually, this is a good gift. And so when we get things in our lives that we see as, as obstacles or, or difficulties, well, I had a professor once say it this way, is those are God's divine interruptions. They're God's ways of redirecting what you want to show you what you need. Paul talks about this anxiety that we have, and I don't, I don't mean clinical anxiety, but I mean general anxiety. When we have a situation in front of us and we're not in control and we don't know what to do. Those anxious thoughts that come are are simply this, is that I don't trust that God has my best interest at heart. But God does have our best interest at heart. It might be painful. It might not look as we expect. But when we see a situation in front of us, we can pray and we can say, God, what your will would be done in this, help me to accept and to, and to trust so that when I go through these hardships and these difficulties that I know that you are at work and that you know better than I do. You could use the example of how many of you have gone tandem skydiving before? You should probably all do it, just for the record. <laughs> there is nothing more obviously helpless and out of control than when someone else is going to pull the chute for you. Do you trust that they're going to do that, and do you jump? Now, I'm not saying you should trust all your, para- your uh, skydiving people, but you should trust God. Is does he know what you need? If, if God says jump, we jump because we know that he has his purposes in store. That he'll work accordingly. So how do I ask for things? Well, let's use the example I've already said, but just because it's really, really personal. 
is how many of us have asked for healing for a loved one only to watch them pass on. That's a very difficult thing to swallow. Yet here's the question. Do I trust God that it is actually better for what his will is than what I would want? My prayer is that that individual's life would be prolonged. Usually, if I'm really honest, it's for my own selfish desire because I want to spend more time with them. Sometimes we can spiritualize it and we go, because they have such good work that they can accomplish. Do we not think God can call others to that same work? I remember when my dad got sick, and he's been battling a long-term illness for most of my life. I remember seeing him out in the field, kind of, we lived right on the corner of town, and he was out in the field just screaming at God, asking why. And then in the next breath at home, reminding me that, Greg, I probably would have never been able to minister to certain people because I overlooked them, and I would never have had time to slow down. And we can sit there and we can go, God, it would be really easy if you just said, hey, just slow down rather than do this crazy thing in my life. But again, we're just saying, God, I'll submit to you a little bit as long as it makes sense to me. Remember, Paul says it is when he's looking at the end of his life and he says it's better to be with Christ by far. But it's more necessary for you that I stay here now. And so he continues to minister. He wasn't longing for more earth. He was longing for more Jesus. That should be the hope of all of us as Christians. Not in some kind of weird way of putting ourselves in active danger so that we get to die and go be with Jesus sooner. That's not what I'm saying. But we begin to see eternity in the proper perspective and we see here and now in the proper perspective. I don't know how many of you have had this conversation, uh, but Grandma Clara, who, who is at home watching faithfully, is here's what Grandma Clara says to me most of the time when I see her. Pastor, are you praying that I'll go see Jesus today? And I go, i got to be honest, Clara, I'm not praying that right now. <laughs> but here's a faithful woman of God who is ready to go be with her Savior. Now that doesn't mean the family's not going to mourn and grieve greatly, but they have hope that they will see her again. And so when we see tragedy, when we see people pass on, when we see the accident on the side of the road, do we believe that God is using those tragedies to ultimately bring about good and redemption? My prayer is simply this, is if through my death, people will be brought to Christ, then my death has eternal value. And I hope that that's my prayer for all my family as well. Not that I'm seeking that or that I want that, but that I know what God is doing is more important. That doesn't mean we can't struggle with this. In Psalm 59, we we read this from David. David's going through a very serious situation. He cries out, deliver me from my enemies, Oh my God, protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. That's pretty clear what his hope is, isn't it? As you read through the psalm, David is in turmoil over some very specific situations. 
But as he concludes the psalm, as he gets to the end in verses 16 and 17, he says this, but, it's a huge word in the middle of that, but I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. Those are two different things, aren't they? Deliver me, yet I will sing praise. God has not yet delivered him from that situation. This is one prayer that he's writing. And so you and I, too, when we go to God in prayer, we can ask for what we think is right and good and what seems to make sense from a scriptural context. But, God, we know that you know better than we do. And so however you are going to be at work in this situation, give me the strength to submit to you in the midst of this that I would see that you are in control. Like I said already, it's really good news that we serve a God that says no. A God that says, trust me, I know what's best. That says, I'm not going to answer that prayer, at least not in the way that you think. That says, I'm not going to answer that now because the time is not yet right. If we served a God that simply changed his sovereign will every time we asked, what would happen? All I can think of in my mind is this Avengers multiverse, everything going south real quick. Just praise the Lord, God is a little bit better than that. That he knows all things. Here's a prayer, for example, that's difficult. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The implication as you read through those verses are not pray that they stop persecuting you, right? But that might be what often our prayers are. Is God, help me out of this situation. Help my coworker to stop making fun of me. Help, help him to whatever it might be. Or as we mature, do we begin to pray for those who persecute us that they would come face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ? That they would see their need for him, not so that my life gets easier, but so that we get to see them in eternity. When David says, deliver me from my enemies, but I will sing of your strength. When we go to God in supplication, again, Ask what you think is right and what is good, but then submit yourself under a holy God who knows far better than you and far better than me. I don't know the specifics of your life this morning. I don't know the specific challenge that you're facing. But I do know that God does. And what's more important, I know that none of it has caught God by surprise. But that he is working all things together for good for those who love him, according to Romans. And so my prayer for you this morning is that you would learn to trust that God. That even when life looks different, even when he answers in ways you don't expect and maybe are even hoping he doesn't, may you submit yourself under that God. So back to the beginning, 
Does prayer change things? Absolutely. It changes my heart immensely. It turns it from my selfish desires to what's right and what's true and what God wants. So don't think of prayer trying to change the mind of God. Think of prayer as trying to change your heart, my heart, to come in alignment with his will. I want to pray through that little text just really quickly, just again, sake of time, and then I'll give some announcements about what we're going to do at baptism, but I'm just going to pray through this Philippians 4, 4 to 7. So let's bow. God, as we have read this scripture already, we know that we are called to rejoice in the Lord, that every gift that we have been given is of your gracious and good hand. And so, God, would we focus not on the things that we don't have, but the things that you have given us, that we might find joy and purpose and meaning. And as we go through hard times, may we rejoice knowing that you are at work. May we act in a way that the world sees us, that everyone that we encounter, whether family or friends or housemates or coworkers or whoever else, that they might see that we have a trust and a faith and a hope in you. God, thank you that you are at hand, that you are not a distant, far-off God, but that you are right here with us and that you walk with us. Help us to not be anxious about the things that stand in front of us, the things that we cannot control. Help us to see that that is a good gift of your mercy that we are not in control. And as we pray in supplication with thanksgiving, may we present our requests to you simply as that, not demands, but as requests calling on you, but submitting to you at the same time. God, thank you that you know what we need this morning. And so God, for each individual who is here this morning and those watching at home, Would you intervene in their lives? Would you show them your strength and your power and your redemptive purposes for what's going on in their life? And would you help us to trust you in the midst of that? So that this last verse, this verse 7 promise that, that we would have peace that doesn't make any sense. That when the world looks at our circumstance, they say, how can you have peace? Because we trust God. That he knows better than I do. God, thank you that you will guard our minds and our hearts through Jesus Christ. As we pray, especially when we have supplication prayer, may we submit ourselves under you, knowing that your purposes are far better than mine. God, thank you for all you are doing in our life, even the hard and the difficult, and the painful. Because you are at work. As we go now down to the ponds to have a time of baptism and and celebrate together, would you unite us as a church? What good news it is that your church is growing. Thank you for all that you've done. Amen. So as Ernie mentioned, um, 
And I guess for those of you who are visiting Sorry, we usually have lots of snacks for you, but you are welcome as well if you would like to come down to the Cascade Ponds. Uh, I have Ernie's special giant van that I'm going to load like 34 people in. Or so. Is that how many seatbelts there are? 